this morning reading again 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 to 17 but our focus this morning is on verses 12 to 16 as we move along in this wonderful letter that is respecting uh, the whole matter of how we are to conduct ourselves and live for the glory of Christ in and through the church and how the church herself is to behave uh, as the kingdom of God here on earth. So let us hear these words. They are to us from God. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled... Sorry, back up. I miss, I'm looking at our text. Verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul breaks into doxology there as he considers the glory of the gospel saving sinners. Well, last week we uh, focused more on uh, verses 8 to 11 and we looked at what was uh, considered to be the lawful use of God's moral law, what we know as the Ten Commandments. And Paul said there, we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And last week we were understanding how the law is not something that has become obsolete for us because of the coming of the Lord or because of the grace that is found in Christ. It is not obsolete. It is not otherwise contrary to the gospel. Again, to work against that prevalent thought in so many Christians' mind that we're no longer under the law but under grace is a misappropriation of that verse in Romans 6 that Paul was instructing us in. God's law is no longer obsolete, but as he says here, it is good. And even more, those Ten Commandments are part of sound doctrine that is purpose to to show us God's righteousness. It reveals to us both the righteousness of God 
and as well the sinfulness of our own heart. That which we need to be putting to death in our life. And and as Paul lays it out for us here, we understand that the law is part of that glorious gospel of our God that in that it is purposed to lead us when it is rightly used in our lives, when the law comes and bears on our conscience that conviction of sin, it doesn't abandon us in that pit. <laughs> it is purposed, as Paul said in Galatians 3, it is purposed to be a schoolmaster, a tutor, a, a school, if you will, that leads us to Christ Jesus, leads us to the One who came and fulfilled the whole of God's law in our place. It leads us to the glory of the God who became man so that in man, God's law and righteousness could be revealed and accomplished in all its fullness. And thus, acclaim Christ as the Savior of sinners. As the one who in all His perfections set Himself to be condemned, to be crucified, to die a cursed death in our place so that He could not only bear our sins to death, but so that He could bear that curse that our sins deserved and and fulfill the justice of God that needed to be fulfilled, that was, was against us. And and Christ in all of these ways is the one acclaimed as the Savior of sinners. And as Paul is unfolding this for us, he, he comes there in verse 15 to what he calls a faithful saying. When we go through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, there are five faithful sayings. And this is the first and perhaps the most well-known of them. A short and pithy yet deep and, and doctrinally embracing saying that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's the one of the greatest faithful, the trustworthy sayings that we are called here in verse 15 to accept. This is a saying that's worthy of every one of us to accept and say. Even though Paul is saying it, all of us are called to accept this very truth in our life. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It is set in that way to deal with every one of us before God. Do you? Can you say that of yourself? And Paul goes on here to to say this, not, not so that he can just elevate himself above all of us, not because he's he's saying some sort of of humble pride. Yeah, I am the worst of sinners. He wants us to grasp the truth of what it means to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and the depths of our sins that incurred the wrath of God, what Christ bore in His death in order to accomplish our salvation. And that's why Paul goes on there in verse 16 to see himself as a pattern, as an example for everyone who believes. And in his pattern and example that he's pointing to isn't his conversion story. How many of you know Paul's conversion story? A wonderful thing, isn't it? And we often think, do we not? We often think, that's a grand testimony. If anyone has a testimony to tell about how he was converted, oh, Paul stands up there as, as the premier example. We know as he was going to Damascus, and he says here, acclaiming himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. He says, I was, a, if I could use this word, I was a bully against everybody and, and did not show any ounce of love in any measure to very many people. And on that road to Damascus to, to put into prison many believers and followers of Christ, He was met with the Lord Jesus in the brilliance of a light and was shown the glory of the one He was persecuting and was blinded in the course of it, but but was also converted in that dramatic experience. We know that story. But that's not the pattern that He's talking about concerning those who come to faith in Christ. How many of you have come to faith in Christ in such a manner that you never know a day in your life apart from the Lord? You've grown up in a home where your parents brought you to church faithfully and you've always, as you look at your life, have always believed and you can look at your life and say, I had no drama in my conversion like Paul's. And yet, Paul says here he's a pattern to those who are going to believe in Christ. There's a pattern he's talking about here that we need to understand. And it's not of his conversion story. He is a pattern of one who has received, as he says here, the exceedingly abundant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as cheap grace from God. If you have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, it is because of an exceedingly abundant grace from Him that has met you. However you were converted, whenever you were converted. Doesn't that thrill your hearts? Isn't it amazing to think about grace? And and again, keeping the definition of grace in our minds, it's so important. We all understand what it means there when in verse 14 he talks about the grace of our Lord. What is grace? It is, and I keep saying this definition, I know no better definition. It is the undeserved unmerited love of a holy God to an unworthy sinner. That's what grace is. 
It's the loving kindness and mercy of God meeting one who does not deserve it, cannot earn it, and is in all respects unworthy of it. (laughs) When you as a Christian, when you look back and you think of your coming to faith in Christ, and you sit there and you wonder about the grace of God, that's what is the pattern that ought to grip you. I do not deserve God's love. And yet, to borrow the words of verse 14, it has exceedingly abundantly met me. Isn't that that amazing? That's, That's why John Newton, we sang one of his hymns this morning, let us sing and love and what? Wonder! Let us wonder about this God who would so love this wretched man. And that other hymn that he's more well known for, Amazing Grace. Think about that line, Amazing Grace. Amazing. How sweet the sound that what? That saved a wretch like me. You know, it's most unfortunate in our day of pluralism, relativism, and pragmatism, in our day of wanting to be politically correct, many, many churches have changed that line. Talking about people being wretched sinners. Well, that's so uncouth. It just, it just doesn't sound inviting. It doesn't seem to address God's love. So let's change it. Let's change it. And they've changed it to this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved and sanctified me. And missing the truth about what is so amazing about the grace of God. Do you grasp that? You do not. You do not deserve. You cannot earn. You are unworthy as a sinner before God, of even an ounce of His love. And yet in Christ, what does He say? Exceedingly, abundantly, it has met you. And Paul says that's the pattern of those who believe. Is that your pattern? You look at yourself. When you acclaim yourself as a follower of Christ, of believing in Christ, is this where you begin with this amazing grace that has saved a wretch like me? I think Paul, in many ways, possibly, was reflecting upon that well-known parable. You know it. It's in Luke 18. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector of two men who went to the temple to pray. Two men who went to the temple to do what all of us together here are doing. We could say, 30 people have come to the temple of God, the church of Christ. 30 of us have gathered here to pray, to worship God, to thank Him, to adore Him, to sing to Him. Well, Jesus tells the parable of two men who went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we know that story of how the Pharisee stood there, prayed with himself, and he said, God, I just thank you, Uh, I'll paraphrase it, that I'm such a great guy. 
how can you not love me? I mean, look at all that I've done for you. I, I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm righteous in all my ways. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this wretched tax collector over here who steals from your people. I give tithes of all that I possess. I fast twice a week. I'm just so good at following all your commands, God. Don't you love me? Now, I'm emphasizing that because because of what's emphasized with the other man. Because the spirit of the tax collector in the temple, standing in the presence of God, praying to Him, seeking the Lord while He may be found, calling upon His name. He is so aware of His condition before God, He cannot even so much as raise His eyes, but beats His breast and simply says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, Paul almost borrows those words, doesn't he? Christ came to save sinners. I am chief. But you know why the Lord told that parable? You see, we know the parable, but why did He tell it? Verse 9, Luke 18. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Think about that. That those who have any measure of confidence in their own righteousness despise others. Maybe not overtly, but subvertly because they're, they're filled with a pride and an arrogance that says, I don't need God's salvation in Christ. And the thing that is different about these two men is only one went to his home justified. Only one went to his home having received the mercy and pardon of his sins and having been accepted by God. Not because he was righteous, but because of the righteousness of another, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ that was upon him. And those who have any measure of confidence in their own righteousness, they are, to put it bluntly, not justified. You will never be pardoned of any of your sins because of any good you have done. It cannot happen because even the best of our goodness is filled with sin. But the tax collector, Paul, they make the same confession. What amazing grace has saved a wretch like me. And with this confession, you understand what Paul is saying there in verse 14. It's exceedingly abundant, an overflowing magnificence of grace from Jesus Christ that has been realized in my life. How amazing is that? Are you humbled by that? And this is the pattern. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? And do you own that truth? Do you stand in that truth? 
by grace alone I have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. No other way. And here in these verses we we learn three things about this grace that saves us. And we'll take them in order as they come. Verse 12 being the first is that this grace is an enabling grace. You see what he says there? In verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. Enabled me. Counting me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God's grace that saves us is a grace that enables us. It's a grace that comes and meets a a, a wretch and makes him a child of God. And it makes you aware of what trust you have been given by God. Like Paul, again, following this pattern of understanding this grace, like Paul, every one of us who believe in Christ have been given a trust. We have been, to read it literally when he says there, counting me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He, he's, he's saying, God has entrusted me with the trust. <laughs> or, He's made me faithful with the faith. <laughs> and this is, this is something that every one of us who believe in the Lord Jesus need to grasp. Though, unlike Paul, we're not appointed to be apostles like Paul. By faith, we have been given the trust of the gospel. It's been committed to us. And that word enabled means that there is a grace that now comes and it strengthens us. Christ is strengthening us, enabling us with His grace so that we can now in our lives serve this very gospel that has saved us. And your ability to serve the gospel and to be a witness for Christ Get this very clear. It is not dependent upon the wonder of your testimony. Your ability to convey the faith that has saved you and the grace that has made you, it isn't dependent upon how powerful your testimony is. You know how churches like to take that extreme visible sinner, that wretched man who was a drug user and plan him up front and just say, tell the people how God changed your life. And we all sit in awe and wonder of them. And we look at our lives and says, well, mine wasn't, wasn't anywhere close to that. That's wrong thinking, dear Christians. And the church really should not be doing that. Because if that grace has met you in Christ, it now strengthens you to serve that gospel. It's not based on your natural talent, your education, your intellectual ability. It is the grace of Christ that now enables you to be a witness of that grace. (laughs) You think about it, how we rely upon specific people to bring a powerful witness of Christ. Do you know, that that kind of thinking goes against the very nature of grace, doesn't it? If grace is unwarranted, unmerited, undeserving, then how can we think 
that our talents, our abilities, our strength is what's going to carry us to serve that grace, to serve that gospel. No, Paul, he says, this this grace, it's enabled me. God has counted me faithful. He's the one who is making me faithful to the ministry that is now mine. What had Paul done to prove himself worthy of being an apostle? Nothing. Quite quite the opposite in his life. He proved himself very unworthy of being an apostle. What has God, what have you done to prove yourself worthy of serving the gospel? Nothing. It's His grace that makes you worthy. Grace doesn't work the way we think it it does. Christ did not look to Paul's worthiness. Neither did he look to the future and say, you know what? If we saved Paul, just imagine what would happen if he's converted. Look at all the good he would do. Does God look at it that way? We, we have a low view of God if we think that. No. It's His grace that begins to work in the life and soul of everyone. He saves. God is at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Now work out your salvation. (laughs) John Calvin said, if God was looking for something of worth in Paul, Paul would have been finished. (laughs) In putting Paul into ministry, Christ showed His grace was what was willing to use Paul. And it's the same with us. The very strength we need to serve comes from the very grace that has put us in this place to serve the Gospel. And how important is that to know and to embrace this, this grace, this amazing grace that has saved us. Well, it's important because how many of you have grown weary in serving? <laughs> how many of you have often said, oh, I need a break. <laughs> I just can't do this anymore. It's wearisome. It's hard. I mean, we read from, from Philippians 2, Paul says, if I by God's wisdom and will and being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and altar of service for your faith. And I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be glad and rejoice. Do you think Paul had that strength of himself? <laughs> do, do any of us have that strength of ourselves? No. It's grace coming meeting us. Look to the grace of the Lord Jesus. Do not grow in ungratefulness. Do not complain about serving. Do not lack zeal. Do not grow indifferent. Rather, look to that grace that has been entrusted to you and which now enables you. That grace that saved you is the grace that makes you faithful strengthens you to be faithful. You rest in it. You rely upon it all the days of your life. And not only is it enabling grace, you see in verses 13 and 14, it is overflowing grace. 
I've changed that word because in verse 14 you see there the grace of our Lord that of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Those two words are one word in the Greek and Paul made up that word. <laughs> he was trying to find a word that would express the magnitude of God's grace to us. And that word more literally means it's overflowing in in a like the manner of a tidal wave or a tsunami that comes in and just covers everything in its path. How many of you remember Hurricane Katrina and the damage it did to New Orleans? How many of you heard about how it breached that great wall that they had built to keep out the heavy storm surges. Do you know how big that wall is that is in front of New Orleans? It's almost two miles long, or if you will, uh, close to five kilometers long. Think about that. It's also 26 feet high. 26 feet high. And we all know that as Hurricane Katrina came, uh, Category 5 hurricane, its storm surge was such that it overflowed that wall and covered the city. (laughs) It's that word that Paul is using here to describe the grace of our Lord. It's not meager to you. (laughs) You know, we, we... have to grasp this about our God who has saved us. There's nothing meager about His grace. And and Paul there speaks of it in context of who he was. Who was I before this tidal wave of grace flowed over me? I was a blasphemer. He believed in God. And yet he recognized he was a blasphemer. He thought he was serving God. But he recognized he was serving his own self-righteousness. He was a blasphemer in elevating himself above who he was before God. How many people are like that? How many people, when they begin to talk about God, start with these three words. Well, I think God. I think God is like. And we conjure up our own image of what God is like. Some of it may have an inkling and a basis on Scripture, but a lot of it has to do with our own views of what we want God to be, not who He is. And Paul blasphemed God in that way. He was a persecutor. He stood against God's church. He led in the stoning of Stephen. He ravaged the church. He dragged Christians away to prison and death. And Paul says if there was anyone who was more against Christ in his day, who could it be? And then, if that wasn't enough, he says there in verse 13, and I was an insolent man. That is, I was all round spiteful of many people, most everyone, bullying them and regarding those who fell short of my standard as, as wretched men. 
In other words, as Paul is looking at himself, he's saying, I can see in myself there was no redeeming character about who I was. He owned, chief of sinners I am. And in came this overflowing grace, this undeserving mercy. I obtained mercy. How amazing is that? That God would take this man who stood opposed to Christ and show him mercy. Doesn't that amaze you? I I think Christians, we all know, we all recognize that there isn't a day goes by that we sin. And some of our sins are more worse than others. Paul speaks there about doing his sins ignorantly in unbelief. We, how many of us commit sins? in knowledge, and walking in faith. And yet, what do we hear? What did we hear this morning? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon His name. And what? You forsake your way. You forsake your unrighteousness. And the Lord will have mercy on you. Isn't that amazing? That God would continue to be merciful to this sinner. Unmerited mercy. And you know there where Paul is talking about doing it ignorantly in unbelief, he's not saying that his sins were less sinful because of his ignorance and unbelief. He's also not saying that because I was ignorant and unbelieving that I was more worthy of mercy than others. No, what he's saying there is that ignorance and unbelief are the summation of his desperate spiritual condition. I didn't believe God. And I was ignorant of what He was doing in sending His Son to save sinners. Ignorance and unbelief are are two things that are most often fueled by a self-righteous, self-glorifying spirit. And what ignorance and unbelief do in many a heart is it makes people think even before God, well, I at least deserve this. And we start with our checklist like so many have done in, in Canada over, the, over these past several months and years thinking, well, I, I deserve a guaranteed income. I deserve to have this much money. I deserve to have a house over my head and food on my table. I deserve all these basic human rights. And how many people have that same attitude before God? It's self-righteousness. And he's saying here, I was sinfully ignorant. Sinfully ignorant of God's holiness and righteousness. And, and I was unbelieving about my own need of Christ and His atonement. And yet, I believed God. And I thought I was serving Him. How many people does that define? It's amazing, isn't it? And He said, In came this mercy. That word, I obtained, it is not something that 
that he went out and gathered himself. It's a passive word. It's, it's, it's saying, mercy met me. God was merciful to me. In came this tsunami of grace. And it not only brought him mercy, it not only brought him that forgiving grace of God, that pardoning of his sins, it not only brought him acceptance with God, look what he says, that grace of our Lord also brought faith and love. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love for God. My friends, do you understand the only reason you believe is because of grace. (laughs) The only reason you believe in the truth of Christ and in the need of His saving mercies is because grace was worked in your heart. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Every single spiritual blessing you have is a gift of God's grace. Faith and love for God included. You cannot love God without His grace working in your heart. Don't kid yourself. But that's what makes it amazing. Is that God has taken this one who is at enmity with Him. Who is godless. Who is a sinner. And in the demonstration of His love through Jesus Christ. By His Spirit, He pours out love in our heart. So that we love God. Read Romans 5. Isn't that amazing? God brings us to that place in love where we love Him. That's why John says, How amazing is this love of God! Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Do you behold it? Why do I love God? Because He first loved me. It's grace. We who are too sinful to take hold of that free offer of His salvation in Jesus Christ, in comes His grace to humble this ignorant, unbelieving soul and opens it up to believe in Christ and fills it with love for God. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God for this. And last, you see in verses 15 and 16, it's it's long-suffering grace. It's a grace that person perseveringly endures with us all our days. And you think about it, because when Paul says there in verse 15, of whom I am chief, sinners, chief of sinners I am, it's, it's present. It, it's not past. He, he doesn't say, I was the chief of sinners. He's saying, yeah, I am. Now, And what Paul is getting at here is that even now he sees the depths of sinfulness in his own heart. He sees the corruption that is yet there. And it magnifies the grace of God toward him. And his point in, in saying there about Christ showing all long suffering in Him as a pattern of those who are going to believe. What His point is, is that God perseveres in our lives to fulfill this salvation in us. 
His point is to show not only that the worst of sinners can be met with the overflowing grace of Christ, but that God perseveres with us all the days of our life, not tolerating our sin, but with long-suffering grace, bringing us out of our sins. Psalm 103, verses 8-10, to The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. Listen to this. He, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Thank God. Nor has He punished us according to our iniquities. Praise God. But in grace, He perseveringly endures until that time when the fullness of our salvation is accomplished. Paul is a pattern of this. And my friends, if God in Christ can do this for Paul, then there is no limit to what His grace can do for you, in you. And it's when Paul looks at this amazing grace, you see in verse 17, he cannot help but break out in worship. That's why he says, to this King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. That, that ought to be our doxology every day. Oh, glory to God. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Do you hear this truth? I urge you, come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Experience this wondrous overflowing grace that brings the full mercy of God and eternal life to you. And my dear friends, as believers, rest in this grace. doesn't mean you're not working out your salvation. But you realize this grace is at work in me. Thank God. Thank God. Let us pray.